This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, May 5th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast, a proud partner of the Pulse Media Group. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! All right, welcome to our big Friday edition of the show here on Steak for Breakfast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo! And uh, we've got a lot of news to cover, guys. We're going to be having some great guests coming in today. Trump attorney Christina Bob will be joining us. Trump consultant Alex Brusowitz will be here as well. And we'll be sitting down with Boris, who's officially attached to the Trump 2024 campaign a little bit later in the show. So, Title 42 is ending in a week. What do you think, Noah? Uh-oh. Oh! <laughs> Yeah, to say the least. And now remember, the most safest and secure operationally border in the history of the galaxy. It's going to be the most safest and secure shit show in the history of the galaxy. There is the potential for shit showedness over a million people to be crossing the border on day one of mm. Title Forty Two ending, which is on May Eleventh. Over a million. Over a million. How many people are queued up waiting? The barbarians at the gates. Over seven hundred thousand <laughs> just in Texas right now. Oh, that's wild. So, yeah, we've seen Alejandro Mayorkas drug through the mud without consequence for the last couple of weeks in committees with both the Senate and House. But he's gone along the uh, new circuit and kind of rewritten history on, on saying, you know, I don't know why the Border Patrol agents and, and union hate me. And we do have operational control. I'm actually a very likable person. Uh- that... <laughs> He is not. I think anybody that's even trying to defend what's going on at the border right now or the ostriches that just have their heads in the sand ignoring it, like, they got to be hi- tired of hearing that idiot speak as well. Yeah, and, and I guess while we're talking about our, our relationship with the U.S. southern border, we do have to wish everybody a happy Cinco de Mayo. You'll have to remember back in 2015, probably one of the most fired tweets of all time <laughs> came from Donald Trump, him eating the Taco Bowl. <laughs> Happy Cinco de Mayo. The best taco bowls are made in Trump Tower Grill. I love I love Hispanics. <laughs> it's amazing. I miss it. Waiting for that first tweet, I think, like all of us are. But uh, some of the Senate Republicans came out and, and tried to, you know, get ahead of this a little bit. And some of the mainstream media outlets on the radical progressive left are starting to come to terms with reality. Because here's the deal. As of next week, May 11th, you're not going to be able to hide it anymore. You're going to be talking about seeing one of the greatest humanitarian disasters, which is already one of the greatest humanitarian disasters in the history of the world on the U.S. southern border. And there's no denying it. I don't even know what to expect. Like, it, it could either just be the worst thing ever or, well, actually, no, it's, it's either going to be the worst thing ever or the worst thing ever. They've already declared a state of emergency in El Paso, Texas, where the streets are overrun with migrants. And, you know... We're going to see a lot more of that in in the coming week. I saw uh, Senator Ted Cruz made some comments up on Capitol Hill about some of the major components that led to this disaster, which is about to get a whole lot worse. Let's hear him. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have presided over the worst disaster at our southern border in our nation's history. This was not an accident. It was deliberate. 
It was the consequence of deliberate political decisions that have created this chaos. This crisis was caused by three political decisions made in the very first week of the presidency. Number one, Joe Biden immediately halted construction of the border wall. Number two, Biden reinstated the disastrous policy of catch and release. Yep. And number three, Biden pulled out of the incredibly successful Remain in Mexico agreement. The consequence of those political decisions was catastrophic. Yeah. And what's going to happen next week is even worse. And for our not bilingual uh, clientele here on the podcast, okay. El, El Paso is actually Spanish for the Paso. <laughs> yeah. It, it's <laughs> going to be uh, not very cliche to say next week, to say the least. Uh, MSNBC sent some border reporters. <laughs> really? Yeah. Gabe Gutierrez, who's, well, he's a national correspondent. Uh, he usually gets out in front of the riots and talks about how they're mostly peaceful protests. But they sent him down to El Paso just to see, you know, what was really going on. You have all these politicians up on Capitol Hill pontificating. You go across the, the legacy media and, and you see, you know, boomer sweats and the Botox queen talking about how bad it is. MSNBC said, well, Joy Reid says it's racist to say that the border is a disaster. And, you know, Nicole Wallace says it's racist to say we have a catastrophe on our southern border. Let's go down there and see what it really looks like. What he saw was pretty eye-opening, and MSNBC they actually showed it. Oh yeah, they they weren't ready for it either. Let's hear him. It's a scene for you right here because there's an active scene right now. Paramedics just arrived, and you can see over here. We're going to be careful because the street's been blocked off. There's a large crowd of migrants gathering over there that just called for paramedics because one of the migrants apparently suffered a medical episode after sleeping here overnight. Anna, this is pretty incredible. I've been here several months ago, but the number of migrants that are here significantly higher. It's not just this block. It extends for blocks and blocks, and again, this is an active scene as my cameraman Alan Gillum can show. Let's walk over here and show just how many migrants extend on this farm, this end of the block. They slept here overnight, and local officials say that they are just overwhelmed. Again, the mayor declaring a state of emergency here. The Biden administration announcing that they're sending 1,500 active-duty troops to the southern border to help with this influx. And again, a larger influx is expected a week from tomorrow when those COVID-era border restrictions, known as Title 42, are set uh, to be lifted. But... Some border communities like this one are already dealing with a huge influx. wasn't pretty, to say the least. Sounds like it was at a music festival. And the thing is, you hear all those people talking in the background. Those aren't Border Patrol agents. Those aren't any kind of workers or anything like that. Those are hundreds, if not thousands, of migrants lining the streets of downtown El Paso, Texas, just sitting there. Like, they, they literally walk across. They get processed in whatever bare-bones way that, you know, Department of Homeland Security is taking care of it now. They're basically given a paper that says, when you get to your final destination, find an ice court so you could set up a date to let them hear your immigration plea. And then they're literally just... They're just destitute on the streets. They're just like, what do we do now? Well, I brought this garbage bag of, of my belongings from the third world, and I have no place to live or go. Should have thought about that before you made the trek, buddy. Bienvenidos. Exactly. It was definitely eye-opening for the progressive news outlet to 
see it with their own eyes and, and have to report on it. And there was, it's amazing that they, they allowed that to air. I mean, that's, that looked bad. Here's the thing. Unless that guy like locked himself in a room of his hotel and like put towels in the window. So you couldn't hear the thousands of people outside getting released. There's no way to hide it. That sounds like what they would do. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, newly announced independent. I'm here in the freezer section at Costco, El Paso. <laughs> who still hasn't announced her senatorial bid for re-election yet, Kristen Cinema. So she sat down on Fox News, which was a little surprising to me, but they wanted to talk to her about, because she lives in a border state, and it's obviously going to be one of the major components of her campaign re-election if she decides to announce at some point in the near future, about what she plans on doing to safeguard her constituents, which have been hit hardest in the Tucson sector down there. They played a couple clips leading in, I think, of uh, our favorite, DHS chief, and then, of course, Karine Jean-Pierre, who's been pathologically lying from the lectern even more so than she has, uh, you know, in the past regarding things related to the border. You have that MSNBC clip that we just played, but literally three days ago, she announced that 1,500 troops were going down there and border apprehensions were down 90%. So if that sentence made a lot of sense to you, you know, let's see if Kristen Cinema could kind of break it down for our listenership a little bit better that the border is secure and we are working every day, day and night, to increase its security. When it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down uh, by more than 90%, and that's because of this act, the actions that this president has taken. But we know that more action needs to be taken, so it has to be legislative action. We're going to continue to call Congress uh, to do that. So obviously the border is not secure. Anyone with eyes can see that. And anyone who lives in a border state like I do, born and raised in Arizona, actually takes offense at comments like that because they're just factually not true. The reality is, is that border communities in my state are suffering already, and that's before the end of Title 42. Just last week I held a hearing in our border subcommittee and brought a Republican mayor and a Democratic mayor both representing small border towns from Arizona, and we just asked them, what is it like every day in your town? And Brett, there are high-speed chases going on through the city of Sierra Vista right now, with young teens driving cars and sometimes being killed or causing the death of others, transporting drugs and other migrants through these communities. It is not secure. It is not safe. So when you hear the administration sending 1,500 troops down there to the border, what's your response to that? Well, 1,500 troops should be helpful. Now, I will say, we got that announcement this morning. My team has asked for a briefing. We've gotten no information about what it's going to look like. But 1,500 bodies is better than not 1,500 bodies. But no one can claim that that is going to be enough. The reality is is that we're seeing over 1,000 single male adults come through the Tucson sector every single day. We don't have enough buses to transport those individuals to other parts of the country. We don't have enough holding facilities to keep them incarcerated until a disposition has been made. We don't have the space, the money, or the person power to address this crisis. 1,500 people will help, but we both know it's nowhere near. And here's the thing. Now that you see people from the other side of the aisle, I mean, she's literally in between the aisle announcing that she's an independent starting to make these claims that the Biden administration has done probably the worst job in the history of border management. What do we do? Do we now see a greater push for Alejandro Mayorkas maybe internally to step down at some point in the near future? Because he's got to be the first one to go. 
you know, there's so many cabinet members who have staked their claim to being the worst cabinet members in the history of any administration of this country uh, based off of the diversity, equity, and inclusion that went into hiring most of them. Um, but now you're starting to see, you know, Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin's also weighed in on the insecurity down on the U.S. southern border. And, and how much longer is it going to be before? I mean, you don't want to lose your chief right at the start of a, a major emergency like this potentially, but we got to look into uh, the numbers. Before we do that, guys, wherever you're listening today, make sure you're subscribed. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show and uh, leave us a five-star review. Write up a little comment. Also, social media is Truth, Twitter, Getter, Instagram, Fall Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit the notification bell. Anytime we put out anything pertinent to the show, it'll be delivered directly to you. So the Border Patrol Union put out a tweet the other day, and I think it's directly in response to those stats that Green Jean-Pierre was spouting earlier in the week that we played on our Tuesday edition of the show because here's how it starts out. Don't believe anything the White House says. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the last 10 days, we are seeing, and now this is for Texas, 7,700 arrests per day. 7,700? Title 42 hasn't ended yet, and it's going to get worse. A 700% increase over normal day during the Obama and Trump administrations. And now we have these lying propagandists running this country and DHS right now. And that's from the Border Patrol Union official Twitter account. Wow. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's great that we're going to be seeing now with Christina Bob here in just a few minutes because uh, she was a high-ranking official in the Department of Homeland Security. We know we had the safest and most secure border we did in a long time under the Trump administration. And we're going to get her opinion on, uh, you know, what could potentially be coming down the pike here when Title 42 ends. Donald Trump made uh, a case. You know, he's always putting out those Agenda 47-related policy videos and came in with another policy video directed at the Biden administration and the end of Title 42 Let's hear it. Under my leadership, we had the most secure border in U.S. history by far. We replaced catch and release with detain and deport. (laughs) One of my most successful policies was Title 42, which allowed for instant expulsion of any illegal alien who crossed our borders. Anybody, if they were bad, we got them out. We got them out fast. Those who trespassed into our country could be immediately sent back to the place from which they came. Every would-be illegal border crosser knew that with Donald Trump in the White House, our border was closed. It was absolutely closed, and they had no chance of getting in, and therefore they didn't come. When Joe Biden came into office, he terminated every successful border policy Mm -hmm. that was put into place, including remain in Mexico, one of the best of them all, deliberately throwing open the borders and instituting catch and release and resettling untold millions and millions of illegal aliens (laughs) into the United States. They're now your neighbors. Congratulations. (laughs) Now Joe Biden is preparing to remove the last remnants of my Title 42 policy just a few weeks from now, wiping out the few remaining shreds of our southern border. Hundreds of thousands of people will pour in that day. And the judge already said that's what's going to happen. This will mean complete and total mayhem and utter lawlessness and unlimited numbers of fraudulent asylum seekers flood into the United States unchecked. They are unchecked. Nobody has any idea where they come from. They don't know if they're healthy, if they're sick, if they're insane, or if they're coming from prisons. 
Already, tens of thousands of illegal aliens have massed on the Mexican side of the border. They're getting ready to storm across the moment Title 42, which is so important, is officially gone. Can you believe they're getting rid of it? And when that happens, countless more will charge in from all over the world. They're coming from all over the world. And some of the states, like California, are saying, come in and we give you free health care, free education. Mm. People hear that from other countries. They say, well, that sounds good to me. And they're making a mass charge toward our border. It's absolute lunacy. It will be a mass resettlement of millions and millions of illegal aliens into your communities. And the invasion will be aided, abetted, and facilitated by the Biden administration's every step of the way, every path they take will be made easier by Biden. Congress should move immediately to choke off and terminate all funding for catch and release. We should ban Joe Biden and the communists and the administration from using a single federal taxpayer dollar to set loose illegal aliens into the United States. And he was, uh, okay, first of all, when you listen to that, is it hard to determine where the teleprompter ends and the ad-living begins? Yeah, right. Millions and millions of illegals crossing into the United States. Congratulations, they're your neighbors. <laughs> and then he was getting so hyped at the end, blaming the Biden administration, he had to take a, bring it back. But, yeah, it's, uh. I thought he was going to break into a police song for a second there. Oh, every, man. Every I, step you take. Listen. <laughs> Every breath you take. The video editing might not be the best in those Trump campaign videos, but I, we have to give credit where credit is due. The mm-hmm. teleprompter guy, where to stop, slow oh down. My gosh. Man, that guy deserves a raise. You just give him an Atari joystick. Donald Trump is busy this week. I don't know if you saw, he made a trip out to Scotland to visit Trump International Golf Course at Turnberry. Uh, he made his appearance, I don't know if you saw this one, Noah, in the beanie. Kind oh, of yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, he sat down for an exclusive interview. We'll hear a small excerpt from that with uh, former Brexit leader uh, Nigel Farage yesterday. Uh, just started crossing the news wires this morning, so I pulled uh, probably the most important question that was asked throughout the course of that. But uh, don't worry, unless you live in a border town. We will be bringing you the most... They're all border towns now. True story. Pertinent data regarding the end of Title 42 as we head into next week and... and Get ready to say goodbye to it. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to be jumping in with Christina Bob in just a second. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she's an author, good friend. She's also an, uh, an election integrity attorney for the 45th President of the United States. Ms. Christina Bob, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. How are things with you? Oh, things are great. You know, living the Florida dream. Have you uh, had the FBI or any components of DHS, <laughs> ATF, DEA stop by your house at all lately? Not recently. It's been a little while. Do so, they, did they ever no. bring bring you Starbucks or anything when they come in or maybe flowers? No, it was never that friendly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hi, we're here again. We got we brought yeah. cookies. Oh, hey guys, good to see you. Come on in. Here's a here's your mocha latte. I'm gonna need you to put all your electronics in the bin. Mike, <laughs> right. Mike how's the kids' softball? Oh gosh. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that that we were talking about that we definitely want to touch on because we try to hit as many topics as we're not talking about on the show during some of our interviews, especially with people who are closely following them, is is a lot of the January sixth rulings and cases that are still potentially coming down the road right now. Now, now you've been tracking this pretty hard, and uh, you have some big concerns. You want to share what you're seeing right now with our listenership and tell us what the implications could eventually be in regards to like things like the 2024 election. Sure. Well. You know, the Proud Boys conviction this week was something that was not surprising, but it, it, I will say it's very alarming, alarming, disappointing, concerning, all of those things, because uh, this is a D.C. court uh, trying. There were five Proud Boys on trial. Uh, four of them were convicted. One, I think, was convicted later, um, or may, they might still be uh, considering that. I, I have to check the status of that fifth one. But um, anyway, this and this is what the Department of Justice is now doing. They are trying these people in Washington, D.C., where they can get a woke activist jury um, to convict literally for anything. Normally, what would be hard to indict, they're actually getting convictions for. For example, one of the Proud Boys that was convicted, he was convicted of breaching the Capitol grounds, like breaching the fence uh, on January 6th, just just walking where he was not authorized to walk. However, he was not on site and no one contests that he was not at the Capitol. He was actually 50 miles away. And uh, that was not in dispute, yet they had that charge on his charge sheet and put it before the jury and the jury convicted him. And so that should be really concerning. I, one, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned and frustrated that the court let that charge for that defendant actually go to trial. Um, if you can't connect the dots and if the government isn't even necessarily disputing that he was on that he wasn't on site, uh, he should never have been charged with that particular offense. Yet he was and the jury convicted it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm concerned that this is political activism at its worst. So now people are being identified, not self-identifying, right. but the jury identified him as a capital breacher. <laughs> His pronouns are breaching the capital. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's terrible. Right. Well, Christina, what does that say for a potential appeals process? You know, when when you get into another court and well, maybe that should get it thrown out, I think. Agreed, but it, since there what has been a conviction by a jury, it would have to go through the appeals process right now, unless the judge yeah. stunning and bravely overturned it, which we know isn't going to happen in the <laughs> D.C. Circuit as well. Do Do you think, as someone that knows the inside of a courtroom pretty well, that this guy stands a fair chance of maybe getting a more favorable ruling in the appeals process, and then possibly even taking out a civil lawsuit against the federal government? Well, I think, yes, I think it would be very hard to get a worse ruling. <laughs> so, um, yes, I think anything would be better at the Court of Appeals. Uh, I don't know how an appellate court can look at, at that specific charge and say, look, the guy wasn't even on site, How that he should never have been convicted of this. Um, so whether I, whether I think it's I don't want to say completely fair. I'm also not trying to bias the judges without seeing how they rule first. But uh, there's obviously concerns. I share the concerns of most Americans that D.C. has become so woke that it doesn't actually represent or protect the American people anymore, which is what it was supposed to be doing as our nation's capital. So um, I I'm hopeful that that particular defendant will have a successful appeal. 
Uh, I don't I don't think any of them should have been convicted, particularly on the charge of um I think it was seditious conspiracy is the title of the charge. I think I think that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, it's one thing to try to charge them with crimes for showing up and like vandalism or whatever. It to the extent they were there, not all of them, as we've already said, not all of them were even there, let alone committed acts of vandalism. But it's it's one thing to charge someone with being on site and doing something bad, but but putting a conspiracy behind it, meaning this was something that they all organized and orchestrated. I I just don't see it. I really don't. I quite honestly, if any, the only organization that we've seen come out of this of how it was organized really was on the part of the federal government. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see how the appellate process goes. But I, I I'm very sad and concerned about this Proud Boys uh, conviction. So that guy could do 20 years for being 50 miles away from the Capitol when the gates were breached. Sounds about right. For a crime that he clearly could not possibly have committed. Perfect. Well, good times. As that news isn't bad enough, you have some concerns that this might tie into the presidential election cycle as well. Now, one thing that the American public usually doesn't see in the drive-by headlines, as is the case with these convictions here, so they'll always report in the news that everyone under the sun who goes to court for something related to January 6th is charged with conspiracy to commit sedition and stuff like that, but then they'll, they'll get convicted on a lesser charge, but they make sure they have that big one up there first. Now, they're normalizing these words, like, you know, insert Direction and sedition. Well, sedition, you like it's that's a penalty of death for that one. In some cases, yes, <laughs> historically. But the fact of the matter is, you you see some of this stuff maybe getting tied into uh, potentially Donald Trump's current quest to retake the Oval Office in 2024 as well. You want to allude to that a little bit? Well, I think all of this is election interference, just like we saw CISA, DHS, CISA, FBI, all of them partnering with. Twitter and the social media platforms, Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call them, uh, to manipulate the dialogue around the election to try to change the outcome of the 2020 election. I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of these indictments and charges. They're trying to criminalize conservatism, and obviously they can't overtly say that. So they're linking it into you know, seditious conspiracy or inciting insurrections or something that's clearly you know, aimed at conservatives. And I, I think they're using the courts and the media because, of course, the media is blowing up the stories of what's happening in the courts uh, to try to either scare the public or manipulate the public. Or Basically, it's just a war of disinformation. And uh, I think they're doing it largely for a purpose of impacting 2024. And I think it's going to get worse, not better before the election. Yeah, what we feel is a lot of the cases that we also discussed uh, off the mics today, you know, the Georgia case and some of the other stupid ones that they're trying to hang out like a millstone around Donald Trump's neck right now. It's the D.C. ones that concern everybody, I think, the most because of not only when you see the ridiculousness level of the charges, but actually the fact like when there's a conviction this week where a guy's 50 miles away and they have him like, you know, getting a 20 year possibly worse uh, penalty than the guy who carried the lectern out of the out of the Capitol, and that's yeah, what just happened to that guy? he's got a Twitter account. And he comments on our uh, posts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you know you've made it, Rum. Yeah, follow him at the lectern guy. So Has, it's really at the lectern guy. I was just about to make that joke. He actually makes them and sells them. He could send us one if you want. A lectern, mini lecterns. <laughs> I feel like that would get us on some sort of list if we're not uh, on it already. Yeah, you're already on the list. Well, spe- speaking of lists. Well, someone who's always on our shit list is the current DHS chief, Alejandro Mayorkas. Alejandro? 
Yes, I'm not going to say it like Ted Cruz. He he, it's spicy rolls off the tongue so well. But uh, so, Christina, <laughs> you, you our listenership knows you, you were a high ranking official in the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration for a time, and uh, we're going to see in just about a week the biggest party probably in the history of the universe happened on the U.S. southern border, and that's when yep. potentially on day one up to 1.3 million illegal aliens from countries all over the world are just going to be able to walk across the U.S. border without penalty yep. or consequence to be bused to the interior of the United States. Now, I'm yep. sure I'm sure you've seen Alejandro Mayorkas grace everybody's television set uh, over the course of the last several weeks, getting absolutely posterized in, in congressional committee, both by the House and the Senate. But we all know once those committees are over, everybody goes back to doing horrible things to the country, like is the case with him. He'll go on... Yep. Crying Chuck Todd or whoever else will take him, Dana Bash on CNN, uh, I'll do the whole Sunday morning news circuit and say the border's secure. It's congressional Republicans that are causing all these problems, and uh, everything's okay. Uh, we're not going to be able to hide it in a week. As someone who, who worked in the Department of Homeland Security and, and saw how great Donald Trump did with his immigration mm-hmm. policies where there was nobody coming north and a lot of people going south, uh, what can you say for the, you know, what's going to happen in just about a week? And I, I don't really think the American public is prepared for what's re- prepared. what it's going to look no like. There's no way they could possibly be prepared to, uh, to appreciate what is about to truly invade our country. I mean, we've been talking about us getting invaded for a few years now. We're under invasion, which is true. We have been under invasion. What is it? May 11th or what is the day that expires? Title 42? Yeah, it's the 11th, right? The 11th. Yeah. Yeah. May 11th. We will see a massive invasion into the United States, and our government isn't going to do anything about it. Um, it's quite heartbreaking to me. It's actually hard for me to really even think about and talk about it because it, it puts us in such a helpless, vulnerable position uh, as a nation. And it's so preventable, it's so unnecessary. And they're doing this on purpose. This administration is intentionally trying to destroy this country, and they're doing it by inviting our adversaries to invade us. Basically, just like Joe Biden surrendered uh, Afghanistan to yep. the Taliban, he is surrendering the United States to any nation that wants it. And that's what we're going to experience on May 11th. Yeah, it's going to be ugly. And I don't think, uh, you know, it's a drop in the bucket to hear about the 1500 active duty U.S. Armed Forces members who are going to go down there and, and you know, pass out juice 1500. boxes. 1,500, yeah, oh. 1,500. So, <laughs> Wait, why, okay, we, why do we need those? Why do we need those if everything's under control? Who's going to drive the buses and pass out the juice boxes? Oh, good point. 1,500. So when I was in the military, you know, the way you fight, you want to make sure if you're going to enter a fight, obviously you want to try to avoid it and use diplomacy and all that stuff. But if you're going to have to fight a fight, you want to make sure you outnumber your enemy at least three to one. You want to make sure that you have a very heavy hand and there's you you can quell any type of resistance very, very quickly. 1,500 isn't going to do that. And it actually concerns me for those 1,500 service members because it puts them in danger right. unnecessarily because they will be grossly outmanned. Well, they'll probably be unarmed too, knowing this administration. It's 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 absurd to think that they would do that to those fifteen hundred service members. That should that should not happen 
in that should not happen in this country. No, it shouldn't. You know, and they said there's probably going to be more waves of servicemen and women sent down there over the course of the next few weeks, but it's always the first batch that gets, you know, echoed across the the news waves the loudest when, you know, they're but, not going to do anything. They're a speed bump. Absolutely. Speed bump. We have to hope for we have to hope for their safety, for the safety of our own service members. That's infuriating. You know what else is infuriating? <laughs> The fact that Donald Trump is going to go into the belly of the beast next week and sit down for a no holds bar town hall on CNN. <laughs> we've we've hypothesized on the show that it's a direct response to not only the Tucker Carlson firing, yeah. but the fact that the you know the Murdoch ran news outlet has pretty much banned everyone from the Trump family from appearing or commentating on pretty much any of the shows except right. when ratings are low and they let Laura Ingram or, or Boomer Sweat Sean Hannity, you maybe, know, interview. maybe they're going to, maybe they're just going to arrest him live on air. Oh gosh. But <laughs> what can our audience I don't think you'd be that generous to CNN? I see your point and I think it's a very, very valid one, but uh, I think that would be saved for another day. No, I, I get it. But what, what do you think our audience is? I mean, listen, everyone in, in MAGA country is going to be sitting down with popcorn and just waiting for him. Watching to CNN. Can you believe that? Well, I think it's a good point. Donald Trump is making a point. CNN's ratings have been in the toilet, yep. rightfully in the toilet, because they don't report real news. They're, and they're not a legitimate source of news at this point. It's smart on the part of CNN as well to have Donald Trump come on, because it's going to be a massive ratings boon. And they know that. Uh, so I think Donald Trump is basically going to make his point, not just by having an exceptional town hall, because all of anytime he does something like that, it's exceptional, it's fun, it's entertaining, people enjoy watching it. Uh, he's he's going to do that. He's going to put on a show, the show, the Donald Trump show that everybody loves to watch. So that will happen. But at the same time, CNN's going to blow Fox out of the water that night. It's going to be really hard for them. Well, their, to their advertiser slots that night are probably going to be really expensive. Exactly. So. It, it also, it, by doing that, Donald Trump is basically forcing a change to the legacy media of, hey, if you actually want to profit, you you have to, you have to let me on and you have to let me do what I do. None of this, we're going to control you, we're going to manipulate you, you know, none of that stuff. If they even let let him on, uh, so I think it's I think it's really smart on his part. Yeah, and I, I, I am still probably in the minority but that thinks that it's going to be hard to find people who really just don't like him that are going to go. Uh, I've seen him go all across the country, especially in the last half year, and it seems like the amount of people that go out, whether it's in New York City walking into the Manhattan DA's office, down in South Florida attending a UFC event, or out in East Palestine, Ohio, there's no detractors, there's no mobs and rioters there like trying to get him. There's people that want to come out and, touch him and talk to him and take pictures. Yeah, with people him. love Donald Trump. And quite honestly, the the mobs and protesters that existed in 2020 for the 2020 election, they were paid protesters. Yeah. Like people need to realize that all of those protests and Antifa and all of the destruction and all of the manufactured hate, that was all paid advertising by Democrats and Democrat activists. Uh they're not doing that, at least at the moment, they're not doing that. So that's why you don't see them. That's why when you go to a Trump rally, you don't see a bunch of haters out there. You saw that for the 2020 election occasionally because the left had people do that. Sure. But you don't see that now. Um, and it's just because no one's getting paid to go because everybody, everybody either loves Donald Trump or they're indifferent. There's very few. I mean, there's some, but there's very few people outside of Washington, D.C., 
who actually hate Donald Trump. So you're saying the Greyhound stock is down right now? Oh, it certainly is. But listen, that guy just got choked out in the New York City subway yesterday. Oh, so geez. according to AOC, it's time to pick up the that was wild. pitchforks and torches again. Christina, this is always great sitting down with you. Obviously, we're going to be looking forward to the next time we have you on the show. We're going to live link the book, as always, in the show description today. And uh, for anyone that's not following you on social medias, where can they check you out? Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Christina underscore Bob. And then Truth and Getter at Christina Bob. Awesome. Trump attorney, author, great friend of the show, Christina Bob. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks, guys. The threat is we will deny you security unless you do what we want. Let me say it again. We will deny you security unless you do what we want. We had an assassin come to the home of Justice Kavanaugh and try to murder him. We have had credible threats on the lives of other justices. And now members of this body say, we will deny you security for you, your families, your children, unless you do what we want. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Judge Mukasey, can I just ask you, longtime distinguished jurist, former attorney general of this country, do you think it's appropriate to threaten the security of, of justices of the United States and their families in order to get them to comply with the wishes of this body? No. Have you, have you heard of something like this being done before? I have not. I haven't either. And I have to say, at a time when we have had three different credible assassination attempts or threats against justices, we still have people illegally going to the justices' homes to attempt to influence their decisions in cases. No one has been prosecuted for those violations. We have constant threats and danger to their children. We had radicals tell, uh, post publicly, the school location of one of the justices' children. And in that context, to say that we will deny them millions of dollars in security funding unless they do what this body wants, I think is the height of irresponsibility. Well, one of the things that's been flying under the radar even though it's been highly publicized in the media, it's just that we have so much other stuff going on. It's either the next Joe Biden debacle, if you could even find him these days, the stuff going on on the border. You know, they've they've taken that incident that happened recently on a New York subway where, you know, that guy who's been arrested over 40 times was threatening patrons on the subway and a couple people stepped in to detain him until the cops came 15 minutes after the call was made. And uh, the guy wound up dying, so now they're trying to stoke all the racial tension across the country again. Well, he just, like, he left him in the chokehold too long, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh... He didn't keep him in the chokehold for the full 15 minutes, did he? No. <laughs> and it did take several other people to... Yeah, I saw I saw part of the video, and, and the guy was flailing, even while he was... Like, I, it kind of looked like the guy didn't know what he was doing, that was doing the chokehold, because the guy was... I mean, you do a right chokehold, like, you're out in, like, a couple seconds. Sure. This guy was still flailing around and kicking and doing whatever. Obviously, the intent to yeah, to just have to the guy subdue him was not there. No, yeah, yeah. So, but the Supreme Court has come under a lot of fire, especially the conservative judges, ever since the Dobbs ruling came back out and, and ahead of the summer. You know, and again, this is flying under the radar, but we're about to hit the height of SCOTUS season, where they've had some, they've got some major rulings coming down. Uh, protection for gay marriage, uh, things related to immigration, and uh, election integrity. So as this 
continues to be one of the only parts of our federal government that, you know, the radical progressives don't have their talons into. Um, of course, the hit pieces and attacks are coming out stronger than ever before. Most recently, that's been highlighted. Someone who's been in the scope of uh, the progressive left for a long time is Clarence Thomas, probably our strongest Supreme Court justice. And, uh, you know, they began to highlight his long-standing, decades-long relationship with a, with a billionaire and the fact that they've gone on, you know, vacations together. Families have gone on vacations together uh, numerous times and on the dime of this billionaire. And even more so, so the Thomases adopted their great-grandnephew when he was very young. And when he became college age, they raised him as a son because whatever component of the family this great-grandnephew came from, they couldn't do it. So this billionaire donor came in and footed the bill for this kid's college. I don't really think it's a gift as much as it is like uh, you're helping out someone that's going to be a contributing factor to the world and something that they're doing. It's not like he gave him money to go buy yachts or helicopters or stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, he just footed the bill for his college tuition. And uh, when, when you see all of the other longstanding relationships, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was friends with so many people who were prominent figures. And, you know, Sotomayor, she goes and sits at Yankee games uh, out in, you know, the right field bleachers and dresses up with all the judges in the Aaron Judge section all the time. I'm pretty sure, you know, she doesn't fit the bill for those tickets. And uh, they, they all, all, especially the ones on the progressive side, they all have friends in the billionaire donor class. It's because the way the Democrats roll. So it's one of those things that we've seen Clarence Thomas targeted for such a long time, and we all know the reason why, Noah. He's an affiliate of the wrong party. Mm-hmm. He's, got the wrong, he's got the wrong views. As a black man. Wrong think. Yeah. It's like the biggest cope and seethe for the lefties. So in addition to Merrick Garland and the Justice Department threatening to remove security components of the apparatus mm. that goes and fills in the security for our Supreme Court justices and their families. Merrick Garland has also advised some of those protecting agencies to not adhere to already standing U.S. codes when it comes to protesters at Supreme Court justices' homes and in their neighborhoods, which is illegal. Um, believe it or not, if you're going to arrest somebody that's protesting outside of a Supreme Court justice's home, you have to contact the U.S. District Attorney and ask them for permission to arrest somebody. Really? Yeah. Again, that sounds counterproductive. There's been three documented, one very serious. In, in the case of Brett Kavanaugh and his family, they had the guy with the backpack that was literally like two or three houses away from him. He had gun, duct tape, zip ties. He was just going to go for it mm. before he got caught up. Do you think there's like a really long like uh, message? Like, to report a protest, <laughs> press one. <laughs> or that'll be like, Press 19. It was other 19 things prior to that, probably. like, Especially when all hours of the day these are happening at. It's not like you can get a U.S. district attorney on the phone at 3 o'clock in the morning. The people outside Amy Comey Barrett's house have been there since the Dobbs decision has come down and have not left. And it's just constant attacks that these justices are coming under. Are they just living there? Yes. That's They're just wild. rotating through, and, and it's just a whole bunch of... I bet, I bet uh, there's somebody paying for those hotels. Basement dwelling, hot pocket eating, neck beard having, blue haired meanies. Mm. 
that just can't live with it. And their intent was before the decision came down to influence the decision. And then again, after it was leaked, we've gone, we celebrated the one year anniversary of the first major SCOTUS decision leak in the history of the Supreme court. And even though Sam Alito, who's another one of the great judges on the bench for us on the conservative side has, you know, said he's pretty sure he knows. And a lot of people have, you know, kind of alluded to this came out of Justice Sotomayor's office from, from there's only 36 Supreme court justice clerks up on the Hill. Mm-hmm. When, when you really, when you have the ability to have eyes on, on a decision that major before it comes out, you got to narrow it down to even a smaller group. You're, mm-hmm. you got to tell me that the, he, they know they fucking know. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just again, as part of that hypocrisy, and I was talking about Sotomayor's office, I'll talk about her even more. You know, she put out a book since she's been a Supreme Court justice for like the last decade. She took a $3 million advance from Penguin Random House, and she didn't recuse herself from a bunch of cases involving Penguin Random House when it got elevated to the Supreme Court level. That sounds sketchy. So weird, right? So to have somebody go and chip in for a kid that you adopted at a very young age who's going to college because one of your billionaire donor class friends has the ability to do it as a you know gesture of kindness, you shouldn't take into the fact that people like Justice Sotomayor has literally made money. It's not like this billionaire guy who's friends with Clarence Thomas is like packing his checking account. Mm-hmm. And, and she's taking book advances for things that she's going to weigh in on years later in the Supreme Court. Yeah, that sounds like more of a direct correlation. I mean, unless are they alluding that uh, Clarence Thomas's benefactor for the for the kids' college fund was getting something out of it? Who knows? I mean, but we all know how it goes down. It's rejection, deflection, projection. Mm-hmm. None of them will claim they did it. Anything that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had done in the past, including her book deals, they'll say, well. She was the best justice ever, and she's dead now. And she was friends with Clarence Thomas, so why are we even going to bring this up? Yeah. Ted Cruz uh, was talking about the double standard in regards to the most recent attacks that have come down uh, on the Supreme Court, which is a major issue for this country, especially when you talk about the potential influence of these constant protesters and negative press in the news ahead of Supreme Court justice decisions that are coming out between, probably starting as soon as next week and going all the way up through right before 4th of July. Let's hear the Texas senator. This is not about judicial ethics. This is not about rules that should apply to judges across the board. We could have a reasonable discussion about that. This is about applying a double standard to Clarence Thomas and only Clarence Thomas. The attack that my Democrat colleagues breathlessly repeat is that Clarence Thomas stayed at the vacation home of a very close friend of his, a successful Texas businessman, flew on his plane and went on his yacht. Well, if that's the standard, going and traveling and being paid for by others, then guess what? Just about every Supreme Court justice has done so, and done so in much greater numbers. Justice Thomas was appointed in 1991, and the time since then, he's taken 109 reported trips, five international trips. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed in 1993, two years later, and the time she was on the court, she took 157 trips including 28 international trips. Mm. Mr. Payne, yes or no, do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was corrupt? No. Nor do I. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not alone. Justice Stephen Breyer, appointed the year later in 1994, took 233 reported trips, including 63 international trips. Again, yes or no, Mr. Payne, do you think Stephen Breyer was corrupt? 
No. Nor do I. I would point out Justice Kagan has done the same thing, Justice Sotomayor has done the same thing, and yet none of my Democrat colleagues care because this is a political attack directed at a justice they hate. Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just wild how this is kind of, and it's because we're getting close to some big decisions coming down that we're starting to see this stuff ramp up against Clarence Thomas, but part of me really thinks that he had hoped so much that Donald Trump won re-election in 2020 because, listen, being appointed in 1991, he wasn't a very young man when he took the bench in the Supreme Court. We're about to be in, in 2024 in just a couple months now. We have to really pray that for, for the sake of the bench and what the Democrats want to do, if we get a Republican president in there in 2025, we have the opportunity to rotate out a couple of those, Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, uh, maybe even John Roberts, he's not that old, but who knows how much more he wants to be able to. It doesn't seem like a lot of the briefs he puts out and the op-eds he writes for things like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, it seems like he doesn't really like the political climate anymore. Uh, back in the day, you could make a Supreme Court decision. A couple people would protest outside the Supreme Court for like a week or so and, you know, peace and love and throw paint at people when they're walking out of the buildings and then they were gone. Mm-hmm. Now they're following to your home and uh, potentially trying to kidnap, hurt, harm, or even kill you and your family. And uh, it would take a president like President Trump to get in there and find some more conservative judges like Barrett, like Gorsuch, like Kavanaugh um, to get back on the bench. And, you know, not like the lady that Joe Biden was able to replace on the Supreme Court bench uh, who doesn't even know the difference between a man or a woman. It's, it's, <laughs> it's asinine. It's so stupid. Sticking with the thread of, of this, though, and, and talking more about the leaker, which is something that I really do feel like we need to get some kind of a law enforcement-directed disposition on in the near future. Senator Hawley jumped on Fox News yesterday to talk about it and, and figure out what might possibly be happening. Let's hear him. Uh, Senator, I want to also ask you about this Dobbs decision and, and the leak. It's very clear that, you know, uh, Supreme Court Justice Alito is signaling that he kind of knows, he thinks he knows who did it. Are we ever, as the American people, going to know? And shouldn't we? You know, absolutely we should know. I mean, the American people have a right to know. And for the the justice to say that he thinks he knows who did it is extraordinary. But I have to say, I don't find that unbelievable at all. It's a small place. I mean, listen, I worked at that court. Uh, There's only 36 clerks at that court. I mean, it's not like it's a massive place to work. I mean, if they wanted to find the leaker, here's the bottom line. If they wanted to find the leaker, they could find the leaker. And the truth is, I don't think they really wanted to. And I think that's what Justice Alito is really getting at there. He's saying, listen, I think I know who it is. It's not complicated. This is a travesty. And it's going to happen again. I mean, mark my words, if you can do this one time and you can bring all this pressure to bear, you still have people marching around Amy Coney Barrett's home. If you can do that with one leak, they will absolutely do it again. What's going to happen, Noah, when Clarence Thomas is the one who writes the brief on overturning affirmative action in this country, which is one of the things that in the next two months we will get a Supreme Court ruling on. Just imagine that. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) So absolutely, you know, bonkers what's going on up at the Supreme Court right now. And uh, as their rulings are going to start to come down the pike here in the next few months, you can only expect uh, some more news to come out of there that's not directly related to those announcements that they're going to be making. Guys, I want to remind you wherever you're listening today, every downloadable podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the show. 
Leave us a five-star review, write a rating, and then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Make sure you hit the uh, notification bell there as well. And anytime anything that we're doing on the show is coming out on social media, we put out some great video clips over the last few weeks from our exclusive interviews with Raheem Kassam and Donald Trump Jr. In addition to that, we threw one out from uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor that was talking about you know, how he feels Donald Trump matches up against everybody else in the Republican primary field. Someone who's not having a really good time right now. No, I don't know if you've heard it. The current first son, Hunter Biden. Mm, What's he up to now? Well, Delaware, as early as next Tuesday, could indict him on several charges in a lot of the things that have to do with uh, his gun purchasing history and some tax-related items. Ooh. Last week, he was in family court talking about the bastard child he had, the the seventh grandchild of, of Joe Biden, and uh, the one who they refused to acknowledge because it just so happened that she was a stripper when he impregnated her. Uh, Merrick Garland. What does she do now? What does does anybody know? She's still a stripper? It's a good question. She's done a lot of the news lately. She Mm -hmm. definitely looks, uh, she's got a perky personality. Kid's cute, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you should have to, be a parent where it's applicable. Yeah. Whether it's only going to be financial because of the, you know. I'm just saying like. Stipulations if, of this situation. If one of Donald Trump's sons was a deadbeat dad, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that would be news. Well, it's like Don Jr. said on Monday. Imagine it was the Donald Trump Jr. laptop. He'd yeah. be executed already. Oh, yeah. Be dead. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And uh, Merrick Garland held a press conference. Uh, unrelated issues to this. On, on Thursday, and believe it or not, fielded a question or two from the press. Let's hear the current attorney general when he uh, is asked about things that are going on regarding the Hunter Biden case up in Delaware. I heard Congress uh, some time ago that the Hunter Biden investigation would be conducted without any kind of political interference. Uh, and I wonder uh, if you would believe that, you, that that is still the case. Uh, if that is still the case, that the investigation is not being interfered in any political way, uh, since a, uh, an agent from uh, Mr. Lee's agency uh, has now come forward claiming whistleblower status and, and alleging that there has been some kind of interference. Yes, it's still the case. I stand by my testimony, and I refer you to the U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, who is in charge of this case and capable of making any decisions that he feels are appropriate. Perfect non-answer. Mm, yeah, I like it. John Kirby was asked about things that are going on right now regarding Hunter Biden when he uh, was called out of the bullpen the other day in the White House press pool. You can only imagine that his answer was going to uh, echo the U.S. Attorney General's. Let's hear him. I've got a question about the House Oversight Committee subpoena that was issued yesterday. Um, It's seeking an FBI document from 2020 that, uh, quote, describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. Uh, What's the White House's response to this serious corruption allegation? I'm going to have to refer you to the Justice Department on that. I I have nothing for you on that today. No. Do you know what what country this pertains to or what policy decision? I have nothing for you, sir. I'm going to have to refer you to the Justice Department, and I'm getting the hook. See ya. (laughs) What? Yeah. Exit stage left, literally. I'm getting the hook. See ya. And he grabbed his binder and walked off. So now they're, like, popping smoke for him? Spoiler alert, the country's Ukraine, the business dealing was Burisma, yeah. and the proxy connection was Hunter Biden. Jeez. 
one of our favorite senators. We're always extremely thankful that he won re-election out in Wisconsin. Ron John jumped on with Sleepy Kulo this week <laughs> to talk about one of the things that we've kind of, we didn't break the news, but I think we've highlighted it the best and kind of stuck in the thread with it. And it's the weird relationship that Hunter Biden and the Blinkens had going on when the current Secretary of State was running around whipping that Whip. 51 former intelligence official memos, which we'll touch on a little bit in our next news segment. But let's hear the Wisconsin Senator talk about all the stuff that's going on with Hunter Biden right now. But now we know uh, that he lied to Congress as well. Remember, he was Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State under Obama. Uh, we certainly had interested in interviewing him during our investigation. He canceled that meeting before the election, but because he wanted to be Secretary of State, he did agree to sit down for a transcribed interview in December of 2020, and he lied to us. We asked him point blank, did you communicate with Hunter Biden via text or email? And he said no. Well, now we have emails between Hunter Biden and Anthony Blinken, plus his wife, her name is Evan Ryan, didn't make that connection. She also worked in the State Department. She was basically acting as a conduit using her personal email between Hunter Biden and Anthony Blinken in one case, trying to set up a phone call between Blue Star Strategies. This, this is the lobbying forum for Burisma and Anthony Blinken. So again, we're, we're just starting to peel back more and more layers, but it certainly shows that Anthony Blinken, you can't trust a word that comes out of his mouth. He lied to Congress. He set up that massive fraud. He should resign immediately or he should be impeached. Senator Johnson, um, when Mr. Blinken sat down with you, quote unquote, <coughs> was he under oath? Yes, he, he was. He was, under he, oath. Was he was made aware of the fact that lying to Congress is a crime, and he said he had no reason to lie. He had no reason not to be truthful. He was not truthful. He did lie, which calls into question all of his testimony, where he denied talking to Hunter Biden or having any knowledge about his workings with uh, Burisma. So we need to follow up with Anthony Blinken to find out what he really knows. And we need all of his records and his wife's records as well. Hmm. Don't when you get caught, like, actually lying under oath, wouldn't that invalidate just about everything that you could ever potentially do in the future when it comes to being under oath? I guess we could... Uh request a statement from the office of Alejandro Mayorkas and ask what he thinks about that. The office of ums and ahs, the data. No, it's uh things are heating up. I, I I'm not going to go out and, and get ahead of it and say, Joe Biden's finished. I'm not going to go, you know, and, and make like wild accusations that because Hunter Biden is going to face possible indictment next week, that he's going to see the inside of a jail cell ever. But when you start to look at how the cookie is crumbling, both literally like on the U.S. southern border and figuratively like the testimony that Tony Blinken gave under oath. It's not looking too good for some of these cabinet members in the Biden administration. We're going to continue to track it the best as we can as we're getting ready to jump in with Boris right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's a senior advisor 
to Donald Trump and working hard on the 2024 campaign. So happy to have him back. Boris Epstein, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. As no one that comes in hotter on Steak for Breakfast than you, you still hold the title. It's pretty much unchallenged. What can you tell us about the most recent developments going on with the Trump 2024 campaign? What I can tell you is that President Trump is absolutely dominating. Poll just came out in North Carolina. President Trump is at 55. The Florida governor is at 22. President Trump is drawing an absolute stark contrast between his strength, the strength of his administration, the fact that we were energy independent, we had a robust, robust, strong southern border. We didn't have banks failing. And America was respected abroad, both by our allies and our adversaries. And contrast with, with the, the contrast that with the pathetic state of play right now, where we are not respected internationally. There's a terrible disaster going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, which is a dumpster fire surrounded by nuclear reactors. You've got banks failing in America. It is a total mess. There's no southern border, and it's about to get worse with Title 42 going away. President Trump is undoubtedly the leader this country needs as soon as possible. You make some excellent points there, Boris, and I do want to stay in the thread of Title 42. President Trump this week put out a video that was extremely pointed at the end of the Trump era policy now and what the potential disaster is for the United States. We've been kind of laying it out over the course of the last year for our listenership about the velocity of the crisis down there on the border and, and, and the incoming issues that, that the United States is going to incur next week when Title 42 goes away. How do you think the president is going to respond uh, to this right now? Do you, do you think at some point between now and the end of the Republican primary, we might even see Donald Trump make a trip down to the southern border? Well, you know, what I don't want to do is get ahead of the president and his decisions. But what I will tell you is that President Trump has consistently and steadfastly stood for a, a robust, southern, robust, protective southern border, for a robust national security in our country and for a a robust international affairs defense policy which puts america first that's what we have to do and biden has done none of those none of these things joe biden is weakens america every single day i mean let's be honest he barely knows the day it is he barely knows where he is joe biden is a complete zero there is no leadership we don't have an actual president right now all we have is a crooked regime that's geared toward making members of the Biden crime family rich. You make, listen, Boris, that's it right there. We've seen so much stuff come out over the last uh, few weeks, especially the last few days when you're talking about the issues that Joe Biden's running into regarding, uh, you know, all of the business dealings that happened while he held the office of the vice president and then his time as a private citizen before he ran for office. Now you're, you're having all these things uh, start to come out about Hunter Biden and how uh, elements of federal agencies have gone with kid gloves and tried to look for the smallest, if any consequences possible. And then, you know, for, for us right here on steak for breakfast, who sat down with Donald Trump jr. On Monday and did an exclusive interview with him on our show. I mean, we we just hypothesized about what it would have looked like if it was the Donald Trump Jr. laptop. I mean, he would probably already be in prison, if not worse. And, and we're just seeing, you know, the Secretary of State being involved with Hunter Biden and some of this bad business dealings, international companies and, and heads of, uh, you know, state and other parts of the world that were all connected to this. And, and then you have all these things about President Trump now. 
apparently there's going to be a leaker, a leaker within his special counsel, and, and and of course they're going to be making up fake news stories about that. Well, there's nonstop leaking that's happening. Literally, uh, every single day there's leaking, there's lying. But here's here's the reality: President Trump and his team did everything right. President Trump putting a lot of truth, putting a lot of posts on Truth Social about that today. President Trump has followed all laws, rules, and regulations, and it is plainly obvious that Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and their crime family have done the absolute opposite. They have profiteered off America for a long time. They've hurt America for a long time, and they continue to do so, and it's got to stop now. Boris, how embarrassing is it for you to be at the top of you know the chain in regards to working with President Trump right now, uh, at the forefront of his re-election campaign, and going out there and seeing how much this country has been destroyed. And when you have global events that are beginning this weekend, uh, like Prince Charles's coronation, that the Biden delegation will be sending Jill Biden instead of the President of the United States, who's been completely absent from the media for the last two weeks, essentially, since he got back from Ireland. Uh, just sending his wife over there to be a representative of the United States that a sitting president won't be there for the coronation of the royal family for the first time in over 70 years. It's a deep embarrassment, but it goes fully in step with what American people have gotten from Joe Biden and that regime. America is not respected right now. America is probably not feared right now. We are in a very dangerous situation. And, you know, yes, it's an absolute loss of face to not, sit, not, to not send a sitting president to the coronation. But beyond that, who right now is supposed to be dealing with, uh, who right now is supposed to be dealing with Xi and China? Who's supposed to be dealing with Putin? Who's supposed to be dealing with these adversaries that we have all over the world who want to hurt our country, who want to dominate the world stage, and who have nothing but disrespect and disdain for Joe Biden. That is a very, very dangerous situation. Yeah, it certainly is. When you look at some of our geopolitical foes and how different parts of the world have been really heating up, obviously China with what's going on in the Taiwan Strait and then, you know, Ground Zero in Ukraine, It's you called it perfectly. It's a dumpster fire <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of nuclear facilities over there, and the death and destruction will probably never really be reported uh, because of the way the military and industrial complex works, but for as many times as Zelensky has ran out of ammunition over the course of the last year and almost a half now since this conflict started, you could only tell that things over there are very bleak to say the least no doubt about it and while america is struggling while our cities are decrepit while our people are starving and dying in the streets from runaway rampant crime that's being caused by a total lack of democrat leadership in big cities we're sending billions of dollars to ukraine that we do not have this country is 40 trillion at least dollars in debt and we're we're doing and we're spending money we don't have we're digging ourselves deeper and deeper in debt to fund, uh, you know, to go and fund uh, this conflict in Ukraine, which has to be settled. And as President Trump said, he would settle it in 24 hours, and I firmly believe that. I think I, I feel the exact same way as well. We've asked so many Trump surrogates and people who are former administration officials that exact question on the show, and it's almost reflexively that they've answered. They feel confident that Donald Trump would be able to get those two parties to the table, and as soon as they are, within 24 hours, essentially end that conflict. Boris, I do want to talk to you about the Republican primary a little bit. I think it's uh, one of the biggest concerns for our listenership, not about how far 
ahead Donald Trump is leading in the polls, but what's probably going to happen uh, to try and slow down his reelection campaign, which at this point, you're seeing his lead margins uh, excess the 40s now in, in points ahead of the other contenders. But when you see things that have developed over the course of the last week with the uh, RNC and what's going on with the debates, does it kind of worry you guys in the campaign or are you just like, oh, this is just another BS thing that we're going to have to worry about and just kind of put our heads down and run through like Donald Trump and the rest of the team always do? President Trump is focused on making sure that we get to make America great again. And that's not a, that's not a slogan. That is a marching order. That is an action item, and that's what we're going we're going to do. And that's why President Trump is winning by a huge margin in every poll that's out there against the, the Republican pretenders, but also against uh, hopeless, crooked Joe Biden. So that's what the focus is, and that's what it's going to continue to be. Yeah, D- Donald Trump has cleared polls against Joe Biden now consistently for the last couple of weeks. A recent Breitbart one, I think, that was released yesterday showed him at least seven points ahead in a general election matchup head-to-head with Joe Biden. Boris, what is your take on, on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? He's looks like to be making the biggest political mistake possibly in the history of the presidential electorate. Uh, you know, the major backing that he's gotten from the international billionaire donor class, uh, Rupert Murdoch and the large apparatus that he set up over at Fox News, all to kind of astroturf this reinvention of, you know, Ron DeSantis as a complete and total like replacement for Donald Trump has seemed to resoundingly fail across the country. No matter how many videos they put out in between news segments on Fox News, no matter how many times he goes and does public speaking events in other countries, talking about a book tour, about being a great governor in Florida, even though it's not a pre-presidential run tour, uh, it, it just seems like it's not resonating with anybody there. As a matter of fact, it's only added to Donald Trump's poll numbers increasing over the course of the last several months. Uh, why do you think at this point in the Republican Party, when when the path to 270 comes down to such a small amount of states and counties where we really need to focus in on, that someone's going to create a big distraction like this, you know, the ideal of Ron DeSantis? Well, I mean, I think you've seen the Florida governor become totally exposed in the last several months. President Trump has called him out for his terrible record on, on Medicare, on Social Security, on Medicaid, yep. uh, and, and on myriad other fronts of uh, international uh, relations. And he had that terrible consultant-driven emergency world tour, which was a total disaster. <laughs> so, yes, I think you're right. I mean, it's a huge political mistake for the Florida governor to get involved uh, in the Republican primary. And if he's smart, he'll do the right thing, back President Trump, serve out his term as governor in Florida, and, uh, and, and look at the future. Because right now, there's no doubt, based on all the polling, based on... Everything we're seeing around the country that President Trump is the leader that America wants and needs back in the White House as soon as possible. I mean, just when you talk about endorsements alone, Boris, you already have half of the delegation of the Florida House Republicans, in addition to, uh, you know, senators and governors already weighing in and and throwing their name behind President Trump. It just seems like there's not going to be anywhere. We had Lance Gooden on the show last week, and he kind of told us, like, listen, he has a lot of respect for Ron DeSantis, the person. But when he went and talked to him face to face and started hearing about his policies, he had already lived through the first Trump presidency as as a, you know, a House member from Texas and knew how bad the border situation was, the unemployment situation was going to be and uh you know that that the the decision for representative gooden was simple he met with ron DeSantis. after that he immediately endorsed president trump we expect to see a lot more of the same boris we also expect to have you back on the show at some point in the near future we're going to live link your website in the show description today but for anyone that's not following you on social media you want to drop your handles appreciate it boriscp.com is the website sign up at boriscp.com website's hot boriscp.com 
hot on Twitter at Boris CP and get her at Boris CP, hot on Truth Social at Boris, and of course, hot us on the Grand Boris underscore episode. Stay strong. God bless, and I'll talk to you soon. Listen, got to sign up for the newsletter. No one comes in hotter on steak for breakfast. Spe- special assistant to the president, Boris Epstein. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. God bless you and your audience. Primetime's been wondering all week, where's Joe Biden been? What's he doing? He went to Ireland and then announced his re-election and then forgot he went to Ireland and then he just disappeared. We've barely seen or heard from the president this week, which is weird because he's the president. So what's going on here? Let's ask White House correspondent Peter Ducey. You've covered this president the entire time. This is kind of strange, isn't it? It's very unusual, Jesse. And remember, when he announced, there were all these polls that showed that voters, Democrats, independents, Republicans, all have uh, potential issues with his age. And so President Biden told anybody that was worried about voting for somebody who is 80 now, watch me. And so we have been watching him. It's our job. And there's just not much going on this week. I've got the schedule here. On Monday, there was a photo op Mm. with the Filipino uh, president. On Wednesday, there was a photo op with some visiting military leaders. And then today, they posted a Twitter video. He popped in for a few seconds to an AI meeting that the vice president was hosting. He never even sat down. And that is it. That is historically in the four plus years that I've been with Biden. Uh, that is about as as little as we have seen him in a week. And remember, it's been nine days since he announced. Still no campaign kickoff, no campaign rallies, and there's very limited campaign staff. When he had COVID last summer, they even had us go to an auditorium here on campus for a virtual Q&A with him. And I was going through uh, in the hour since special report, nine days since the campaign, there have been lids called uh, three of the days, 2.30, 2.22, and 3.47. It's very early. Uh, people criticized President Biden a lot for being uh, allegedly in the basement last time, but it worked. And his opponent this time may be the same. Uh, so the strategy may be the same. Jesse? Well, let's see if he can get away with it. I'm sure it has nothing to do with Hunter Biden going to court to stiff his love child or the fact that a whistleblower at the Department of Justice accused him of taking bribes. I'm sure it's unrelated. So keep pressing him, Peter. Thank you. It's pretty weird how Joe Biden has been absent for the last week and a half, two weeks. It, no, it's not. I mean, it, it should be weird, but it's not. I'm not surprised. Anybody surprised? All this does is kind of add credit to the election path back to the White House that Donald Trump has and where he needs to win. Five or six swing states, less than 100,000 votes, and that's it. And the Biden team knows that. And they know if Donald Trump can't win the Rust Belt and break through ports of the Blue Wall again, it's not happening. So maybe less of Joe Biden might be just what they need to make the race as competitive as can be. Yeah, the the less visible he is the less chance of a blunder happening or some epic fail because he's categorically just (laughs) a mess yeah it's ugly it is and uh you know when you look at all the stuff that's going on the bad pollings title 42 about to end scotus under attack and and it seems like the u.s justice department has no interest in in combating any of the things that are happening to them 
Hunter Biden back in court for multiple reasons up in Delaware with the, you know, AG there and, and then in family court for his love child with the stripper. And then that proxy connectivity to Secretary of State Tony Blinken and his wife. There's just a lot of stuff going on. They should put uh, Hunter Biden and the stripper on Maury. R.I.P. Jerry Springer this week <laughs> would have been perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just crazy that you have this stuff going on at, at a time when, you know, the presidential race, at least on the Republican side, is starting to heat up. And you can't deny the fact that Joe Biden being out of the media is a good thing for the Democrats because it lets some of their leaders that actually don't soil themselves occasionally, especially when they go to the Vatican, to, like, run ahead of, of some of the stuff that's going on. Oh, the Shatican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And then when you talk about heading into the election season, you have the potential for, well, there's not going to be any debates, even though recent polling is showing that Robert Kennedy Jr. is pulling in at least 20% in the Democrat Party and, and is coming out you know, pretty poignantly against Joe Biden and some of the missteps that his administration has taken along the way as, as a potential Democrat challenger. I would love to see a debate. That'd be amazing. I saw the gang over at uh, Joe Doucheborough and Friends this morning talking about it, and uh, they had some buddy connected to the Biden administration who hates everything, especially white people, talking about how uh, the Democrat primary debates are shaping up. Let's hear it. Junior, doing well. He's at 19%. Hasn't really gotten that that much out there. I mean, it's and I'm starting to hear more and more talk about him. Are we going to actually have a challenge here? I'm trying not to laugh, Joe. There's not going to be. Can I just can I stop you for a second? Do you know? How many people said the same thing about Donald Trump That's in 2015 true. on yes, this show? Except said I will the note- same exact Left. thing. Yes, because there was going to be a Republican primary. But I really think that uh, the mealy mouth Democrats, as I like to call them, and some of my progressive friends who would like to live in a fantasy land, they need to come back to reality. Yeah. And the reality is this. The sitting president of the United States of America is a Democrat, a Democrat that would like to run for re-election so much so that he has declared a re-election campaign. In that case, the Democratic National Committee will not facilitate a primary process. There will be no debate stage for Bobby Kennedy, Marianne Williamson, or anyone else. So we're going to have another Bobby Kennedy in an empty chair in the debate, right? There will be no debate. Yeah, no debate. (laughs) The Democratic National Committee administers the debates, and they're not going to set up a primary process for debates for someone to challenge the head of the Democratic Party. David, a lot of Democrats concerned about Joe Biden. They, They may not be saying it in front of the television camera, but man, get those cameras off. He pretty much basically said the same thing that you did, Noah. Yeah. They're just terrified of him getting on camera and making more receipts. I mean, if if he actually debated RFK, it would be just... It'd be a bloodbath. Yeah, because they... I mean, there's not enough whatever chemicals they're pumping him with to make him coherent in the world now because they still can't make him coherent coherent anymore. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's it's... Wild, like the sharp-eyed, uh, the blue-eyed uh, Biden, that's like can actually string a sentence together. That guy's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he certainly is. We haven't seen that one in a long time. You know, we 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 broke some news about a week ago with John Solomon on the show, and he was talking about backdoor dealings that were going on in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop. Recently leaked emails from former security chief John Brennan. He's a complete scumbag and tried to fabricate stories about Donald Trump the entire time he was sitting at 
as director of the CIA, sent an email to Mike Morell, who, who John Solomon kind of introduced our listenership to, uh, and someone that helped Anthony Blinken and probably Hunter Biden whip the memo. And um, the email reads, in part, basically the meat and potatoes of it is, I'm trying to give the campaign, they're talking about Joe Biden's campaign, particularly during the debate on Thursday with Trump, a talking point to push back on Trump with this issue. And they're regarding the Hunter Biden laptop. That's famously known as when Joe Biden picked up the paper. 51 former intelligence chiefs said this is Russian disinformation. It's not true. And then you got the modern Donald, we listen, these people aren't going to put their credibility on the line and say that it's not Russian disinformation. If it's Well, it's not. I mean, it was completely fact. This is the steel dossier with real people signing off on it. Yeah. And, Due to the subject subject matter in that actual laptop, and I'm sure he was aware of what was on it. Like you know, it's fucking true. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's just a complete embarrassment for you know every single person that works in the intelligent field to have these former leaders and, and heads of your agency, people that sat all the way as up to cabinet level positions down to program managers and. All the people that have come in and worked underneath them in turn. And has anything ever happened to these people that lied? No. No. I mean, John Brennan and, and you know, James Comey and, and Clapper, they all still have their security clearances, which is if you're the former head of the FBI and the CIA has to be the, the toppest in all the land, mm-hmm. to say the least. Stephen Miller jumped on Hannity last night to kind of talk about some of the stuff going on with the Biden family corruption and his alleged collusion with foreign entities, which ties into everything from the Hunter Biden laptop and beyond. Uh, it's always good and fiery, but mostly peaceful when he talks. Let's hear him. So, Stephen Miller, we had the IRS whistleblower. Uh, immediately thereafter, you, you get all these rumblings, if you will, of an indictment of Hunter Biden. Is that a coincidence? Uh, now we have another whistleblower coming forward. And apparently now they're talking about Vice President Biden uh, and a foreign national and money changing hands, money for policy decisions. Uh, it seems like these whistleblowers are uh, doing a lot of good work for the country. Yes, well, I salute the whistleblowers who are standing up to expose this corruption and this wrongdoing that is threatening our national security. And I salute James Comer, whose doggedness and determination in pursuit of truth is nothing less than extraordinary. Let's be very clear, Sean. If Biden's Department of Justice refuses to provide James Comer with every single document he is seeking, and if there's any defiance of that subpoena, that Merrick Garland must be impeached. That's without question, because that is obstructing the will of Congress to get to the heart of the question of, is Joe Biden compromised by a foreign power? Is he putting the safety and lives of the American people at risk to pad the bank accounts of the Biden family? So if Garland does not cooperate and if the entire Biden administration stonewalls this, you begin by impeaching Merrick Garland. This is a fundamental matter of whether or not the highest office in this land is bought and paid for by a foreign power. We must get all the facts, Sean. Every detail must be known and must be made public. Uh, wow. Stephen Miller. Yeah. Certainly. But where does it go? Where does it lead? I mean, where do we hope it leads or where is it going to lead? Because it's going to lead nowhere, just like everything else. I hate to be pessimistic, but if there's anything I've learned so far that it used to be Teflon Don, but now it's just Teflon Biden because. They're just going to fabricate and obstruct and just, you know, disavow anything that happens. 
But do we have the potential to set new standards for moving forward? I hope so. Yeah, where people are going to have to be vetted on, on like, different levels, especially if they've held any kind of public office when it talks about – I mean, everybody wanted to talk about Donald Trump's business dealings and, like, you know, the construction world and stuff like that and things that went on at his big fancy resorts. But you really can't take into consideration the fact that when you look at how Joe Biden used his – I mean, he he was, like, literally a whore in in pay-for-play when it came to how he abused the vice president's office and his time privately before he decided to announce his – candidacy to run for election in 2020 i mean this is just like one of the most embarrassing and 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 for people who continue to try to normalize hunter biden as like a human being the guy is an absolute monster degenerate scumbag and it wasn't just him you mean when they throw him in a suit and make him look all nice yeah he smiles and And, and he gets to go on taxpayer dollars fly all over the world with his dad whenever he decides to to go somewhere it's just, it's just a complete abomination. Like You're saying he didn't sleep in the cot on the foot of the bed? <laughs> to say the least. Well, as if things for Joe Biden weren't bad, things for f- current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis continue to get worse. Not only have we seen him sinking more in the polls recently and him not getting endorsements as they're more migrating to President Trump, and this is going to be a great topic to talk about with the CEO of X Strategies, Alex Brusewitz, in just a few minutes when he joins us. But now the press is just starting to hit him up and say, listen, your international Florida is great book tour didn't go so well. It seems like, based off reports out of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, some of your members of the international billionaire donor class are getting a little spooked. Mm. I mean, when the polls are coming out and it's showing Donald Trump like 55 to 60% and Ron DeSantis hovering at around 16, it's a lot of ground to make up in, in in a year. He's been continuously asked these questions. He was asked this morning uh, while talking about some legislation that's going on inside the Florida House right now. And uh, much as the cases we've reported for the last couple of weeks and played you guys the receipts on the show, it seems like he becomes really annoyed and just wants to blow off anybody that asks him questions about why is he not gaining popularity and Donald Trump continues to rise. Let's hear it. Oh, it's that's chatter. I think the thing that most of you guys should know about me is the chatter is just not something that I, I worry about. I don't bother. There literally were people writing, saying things like August of 2022, saying I wasn't handling the campaign well for re-election. They were saying that. The anonymous Republican operative has said He's doing the bobblehead again. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, come on. And and so I think we end up handling it pretty well. So so don't don't worry about the chatter. Just whatever you do, just you know, that you, you there's a true north that you gotta do. And every single day, most of the stuff that happens in the political sphere is trying to knock you off course from getting true north. And that may be the legislative wins here. It may be, you know, a re-election in 2022, any of that stuff. So just focus on it and don't worry about a lot of a lot of the chatter. Gary? Well, for somebody who's not paying attention to the chatter, he sure had a very specific reference of the chatter. Sounds like uh, maybe some of Kamala Harris' speechwriters. It sounds like maybe he already knew they were going to ask that question. He already had a little anecdotal uh, evidence to throw in there. Are you referencing true north? Mm, true north. <laughs> Well, listen, it's like how Christina and Boris kind of led in with, and I'm sure how Alex in just a few minutes will be talking about. This is just not the right time. It's not the right place. The country's not in the position right now to be reintroducing someone that would have to completely redefine what, you know, their infrastructure, economy, geopolitics, stances were on everything. 
and and where we need to get back to at such a critical time, especially when you talk about hotspots around the globe. I mean, we again, we talked about it on our Tuesday edition of the show. We abandoned another embassy this time in Sudan, leaving probably hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans and, you know, their confidential human whatever's there. And uh, we've got China posturing, even though we don't think that war is going to necessarily get hot physical one-on-one between China and the United States. Obviously, what's going on with Russia, you saw this it week. It doesn't need to get kinetic. It's, it's already just going to be information and supply. Yep destroy our economy and once we can't stand anymore then we'll just blow and we'll fall over um you saw the the supposed assassination attempt on vladimir putin this week with the drones over the kremlin Mm -hmm. that were shot down pretty interesting Uh, it's weird the ukrainian government obviously made official statements saying that they had nothing to do with it but then like the next day one of the national post office in ukraine announced that they were doing a commemorative stamp regarding it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm I don't know if it was the right video or whatever, but I saw somebody posted like it was it looked like people were throwing bags of documents or paper on a fire out somewhere. I was like, is that, is that was that the one that they were talking about? That was the attack or was it an actual like hit on the building? Well, I mean, they had fire over the Kremlin. You, you can't really tell what it is. Yeah, it was smoke. Right. And then smoke. And then the next day they have pictures during the daytime of what they are saying is the remnants of one of the two Ukrainian drones. They said it was holding or the one that blew up was holding probably up to like 40 pounds of explosives and a big uh, ass drone to hold 40 pounds. Yeah. It was like a, a little bit bigger than an Amazon model plane. I mean, they're pretty big. You need mm-hmm. trailers for them. So I, I mentioned it at the top of the show and, and, and our last audio clip of the day, right before we jump in with, ex-strategy CEO Alex Brucewitz. Donald Trump sat down yesterday with former Brexit leader Nigel Farage in what I'm sure people are calling an historic interview. Out of all the main topics that they hit, everything from election integrity, which Donald Trump had to remind him he brought up, but the election was rigged and stolen, all the way down to like ending the war in Ukraine, Nigel asked him straight up, do you think you're going to win in, in 2024? I thought that was the best non-regular topic we hear from President Trump, and it's asked from one of the people that he doesn't necessarily think is a reporter, but more of like his friend. So let's hear the 45th president weigh in on that one. Final thought. Are you going to win next year? I think we have a very good chance. Uh, the economy is not good. I'll make it good. Everyone knows. You know, everyone knows. They, even Democrats, they say, well, we agree that Putin would have never gone in. He would have. I told him, you're not going in. Putin would have never gone into Ukraine. President Xi of China would never even be talking about Taiwan. We had that conversation strongly. Uh, I stopped uh, North Korea from doing some really bad things. And my relationship with Kim Jong-un is very good. Who knows what's going to happen there? Iran was going to make a great deal. They were going to be happy. I was going to be happy. We're going to have a great relationship. Now they're out of control. They're totally out of control. This world is blowing up around us. It's blowing up around us. You may even lose the dollar as the standard throughout the world. And if you lose the dollar standard, that's like losing a war. In many ways, it's worse than losing a war. Uh, Yeah, I think we have a very good chance. I think when people and people feel it in their pocketbooks, everyone's saying, you know, Trump's going to turn the economy around. I did it. Actually, I did it twice, if you think about it, because I did it after COVID. But we had the greatest economy in the history of the world, and I'll be able to do that again quickly and easily. Energy is going to come down. Interest rates are coming down. 
And you know what else? We're going to have we're going to get rid of crime because our cities, Democrat run, are crime infested rat holes. <laughs> you know, just the way he says some stuff sometimes it's it's brilliant because you don't expect a nearly 80 year old man as sharp as he is to go and make references about like weaponizing the n-word mm. or calling places like new york what do you say crime infested rat holes yeah and you know we've got a lot of work to do uh the work's about to get a lot harder as the economy continues to tank we, we lost two more banks over the course of the last business week I don't know if anybody saw that. J.P. Morgan was just scooping them up. So it was right under the radar. Borders about to bust open. The housing market at the tippy top, most of it is starting to crack. Uh, the, the Biden administration put out jobs numbers today. It said they're still the greatest jobs administration in the history of the universe. Why do they bother? It's because nobody people, believes any of this. Even, well, actually, no, I take that back. The, the mouth-breathing idiots still believe this. The ones that are still wearing, wearing masks in their car by themselves. <laughs> Gotta love that. The final boss at Walmart. I like, give people the dirtiest looks when I see them wear masks now. I can't even help it. I just despise them. It's like, okay, benefit of the doubt, maybe you have some sort of pre-existing condition where you still think this is. But less than 10%, less than 10%, even remote probability that it does any good. And then at the same time, they're not even wearing like the actual mask that does any good. They're wearing a freaking neck gaiter or something. It's like, fuck off. Just in case Spotify was wondering if we were going to get our COVID-19 yeah. banner today. There it is. And we have some breaking news as we're getting ready to jump on with Alex in just a second. Rachel Walensky is stepping down. So the pathological liar who said everything from masks to vaccines and boosters were the best things ever invented. Wow, that was a good uh, lead in. Yeah. So, and look at how organic that was. As we're getting ready to jump on the phones right now with Alex, we're going to key him up and... Uh, See what he's got to say about all things MAGA. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the CEO of X Strategies, one of our great friends. If you haven't followed him on social media, he's going to give you his handle at the end because you absolutely need to. He's a champion for MAGA out there as well. Alex Brusowitz, thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Great to be back. Oh, our pleasure hosting, sir. So how's everything going in your neck of the woods? Times are busy. New polls are coming out. New Trump events are being announced almost up to the minute right before the show. We found out in addition to the CNN town hall next week, we're going to be treated to a rally in Iowa as well. So outside looking in, everything that you're seeing, what's going on with President Trump's stock rising and uh, some of the others not even registering. What are you seeing? I, I'm seeing uh, the same thing every other American is seeing. Uh, the 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 Trump movement is not going to be stopped, especially it's not going to be stopped by uh, this clown that's currently in Tallahassee named Ron DeSantis. Uh, the more people learn about Ron, the less they like him. And uh, look, Ron's a, a fine governor. I think there's a lot of things that if you look at the, the fine words of bills and actually pay attention, most of his wins have either been struck down in court or uh, were nothing more than a uh, PR uh, photo op style uh, of a release. But, um, you know, he should stay put in Tallahassee uh, because the more he is out in front of people, the less they like him. And, and you see that with his tanking poll numbers. Which is which has to be concerning. I mean, there's been reports, especially when he went on his international book tour to discuss how to be the best governor of Florida, which didn't have anything to do with presidential campaigning. But at the same time, 
went to places like South Korea and Japan, several battleground states, and sat down with huge donors in the year that he just won an election. What does that say for the superstructure that they set up around him? Everyone from Christina Pushaw to, you know, former MAGA walkaway Adam Laxall to just the job they're not getting done at the level that it would even take to run a national presidential campaign. Yeah, well, if I was running uh, Ron DeSantis' campaign or even involved with it, I would uh, suggest that he fires everybody involved with his political team and fire everybody involved with that super PAC because uh, they're really not getting the job done. Uh, the Trump campaign put out a really unique memo yesterday, basically showing that with, you know, despite the tens of millions of dollars that the DeSantis team is already putting up on attack ads and, and you know, ads introducing Ron to the American people, he's going down and down in the polls. And so that can't be a good sign. Typically, when a politician uh, is being introduced to a larger audience, uh, they tend to do a little bit better. Uh, you know, Vivek Ramswamy is an interesting example. Vivek's spending a ton of money on ads and introducing himself to the electorate, and his poll numbers have gone from non-registering to about 5%. In that same time period, DeSantis has gone from like 30% in polls to 16% in the latest Emerson poll. So if you're in DeSantis world, you're like, what the hell is going on? And I think part of it is that uh, his team was also AstroTurf. People, you know, like myself, were kind of bought into the idea that, you know, people like Christina were possibly good at their jobs. I don't think that's the case anymore. After seeing the absolute clown show she's assembled has her surrogate army online, uh, I couldn't think of a worse group of people to have advocating for my candidate. I mean, look, they have Cardillo, they have Reboy, they have Jebba Ellis, they have... <laughs> these absolute barbarians and clowns. And then on the super backside, you have fat walking and Aaron Perini. And these people are not geniuses. These people are probably the dumbest people that you could possibly get from Trump world. And, uh, so if I was DeSantis and I'm seriously considering running, I'm going to recognize that, Hey, the current team that I have has actually hurt me. Let's start over. Uh, but, you know, as somebody who wants Trump to win, I, I hope he doesn't make any personnel changes. Yeah, we sat down with Donald Trump Jr. on a special edition of our show on Monday, and he talked specifically about a lot of the things you're alluding to right now, Alex. In addition, he said, listen, Trump world is known from day one who all these fake MAGA walkaways who are, you know, running around astroturfing for Ron DeSantis are. Don Jr. took credit for literally making the careers for most of them and said that, you know, their time is in – and anything related to America first is, is all but over because they've got names, they've got receipts, even went to say like, you know, you have these people putting out awesome tweets for my dad. And then like literally a week later, they're like, yeah, but you can't trust this guy anymore. We need to move on. And he's like, what the hell is that? It's like the biggest Bush league bullshit, you know, you've ever seen on social media. And it's like for everybody to see, like you, unless you go ahead and delete all your tweets for the last like seven years about how awesome Donald Trump was, you're going to live or die by whatever you're posting out there on social media right now. Yeah. Well, Don, Don Jr. spot on, and I've had conversations with him about that as well. Uh, but one of my favorite things that I see online each day as of late are, you know, if I go back and forth with one of these drunken deadbeats on Team DeSantis. They're like, oh, you're pushing away voters, or you're, you know, if you attack me, then 
you're going to have a hard time winning suburban women, says Jebba Ellis. <laughs> uh, I don't think any suburban woman cares about what Jenna Ellis has to say or criticism she faces online. These people live in this false reality. They think just because they have a few thousand followers, it means they actually uh, matter to the voting base or they matter to whatever. Um, but in reality, these people are just a bunch of lowlifes and fools who, who are digging massive holes for themselves. They will never be able to, you know, uh, show face or save face uh, with the absolute clown show uh, that they're putting, them, uh, putting on right now. Uh, these people would like to go to Mar-a-Lago. They, you know, they'd, they'd be in Don Jr.'s mentions or re, uh, DMs begging him for retweets or begging him for attention for years and years and years. And then they have the audacity to attack him once uh, DeSantis' team tells him to do it. And so these people are sick. These people have issues. Fortunately, they have done nothing but make Ron DeSantis go further down in the polls. Uh, but and, and I genuinely hope Ron asked John Cardillo to go on a surrogate tour for him. Imagine John being sent to, you know, go, go discuss with, you know, discuss something with women across our country. You know how many women that would push away from DeSantis? If you have that sloppy fool go out and try to, you know, whip up some votes for him. Um, but it's just an embarrassment. The, the pack is flailing. They're spending millions uh, and they keep going down the pole. So, it's not a good sign when you spend more money and then you keep losing voters. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've seen Donald Trump kind of push ahead as far as his campaign goes. We saw seven Agenda 47-related items drop this week, uh, one in regards to the border, one in regards to making uh, collegiate education great again. And uh, like we talked about at the top, you know, he had just announced a, a big rally that's going to be happening in Iowa and uh, CNN Town Hall this week. What do you see when you see those events lining up about how, uh, you know, Donald Trump's kind of uh, reminding the American people how great things were during his first term in office? Well, the Iowa event is hilarious because it's a great troll of the Sanctimonious. <laughs> so the Sanctimonious announced that he was doing a fundraiser with a a uh, very average member of Congress named Randy Feenstra. And Randy Feenstra, by the way, has totally friend-zoned DeSantis. You know, there was this event up in D.C. where the only endorsement that came out of the event that DeSantis hosted was an endorsement for Trump when Lance Gooden did that awesome rollout. Uh, but, you know, Randy Feenstra was at that event, and then he was asked about, are you endorsing DeSantis? And uh, he said, no, not, you know, not looking at that right now. So, Ron DeSantis is flying to Iowa to do a fundraiser with the guy who put him in the friend zone. And even if Randy endorses him, it doesn't move much of anything. Uh, so Trump is now flying to uh, Des Moines, Iowa to do a big rally where he's going to have thousands and thousands of people, you know, and, and DeSantis is just going to have a couple hundred. It's going to be embarrassing for, for Ron. Um, but I'm really excited about that event. I think you're going to have an interesting slate of speakers there. Yeah, uh, but then I also uh, I'm also excited about the CNN town hall, and I see that the simps are crying because uh, you know Trump recently said that he's not going to participate in a rigged debate held by Fox News, uh, vicious anti-Trumpers at fa uh, failing Fox News, uh, and they're like, well, he's scared of the debate, the uh, the DeSantis, but he, he's willing to do a town hall with uh, CNN. DeSantis is a terrible debater, so nobody's afraid of DeSantis. Right. And it actually shows a lot more courage for Trump to go into the heart of the enemy and take, you know, uh, questions from people who hate the guy 
and and debate in front of the world to see uh, instead of you know, so I'm really excited about that CNN town hall. I think it's gonna be great ratings. I bet they do better ratings than Fox News that night. Um, and so you know it's gonna be really interesting. And the next day is when Title 42 expires. So I have a feeling that. Uh, uh, immigration is going to be a top uh, hot topic that night. Sure, it definitely is. And uh, what do you think about the story that's starting to gain traction a little bit now in regards to the debates uh, with the recent rumors that Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson are talking about maybe working out a, a Republican primary debate where he's the moderator? Well, I think that that would be a little bit more fair. You know, Tucker, I think, to his credit, has been... Uh, very even keel on this primary process thus far. He hasn't really hinted one way or another. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's had both Trump and DeSantis on his shows um, and and others. He's had Asa Hutchinson on his show. He's had that kind of show. So these people, I think it would be significantly more fair if you had somebody like him do it. Whereas Fox has Neil Cavuto and Brett Baer hosting the first debate and Neil Cavuto has been a Trump hater since as long as I can remember. Brett Baer is a January 6th insurrection believer. And, uh, you know, he's a big DeSantis fan. All of the panelists that Brett Baer has on his programs are always for DeSantis. And so, you know, it it doesn't make sense for uh, Trump to, to debate. And also if DeSantis was polling better at like 30, 40%, maybe that makes sense but trump had no real competition at the moment so why would trump sign up to do a debate where it's 17 on one including the moderators uh knowing it's going to be a bunch of bs and give the op- you know the ankle biters opportunities to take something out of, you know to take a shot at trump uh and so until some of these people start polling betters trump should absolutely dictate which debates he does who moderates them because he's the he's the front runner and, and even cnn knows it Oh, they do, and, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think for the P.T. Barnum-like attributes that Donald Trump brings to an event, like even the primary season debates, the American public wants it. Obviously, the media salivates over it. But, you know, with the way things went down between uh, the mainstream media news outlets and the RNC kind of excommunicating Donald Trump from being involved in any of the negotiations that went down to land those, uh, there's going to have to be some concessions made if they're going to want him to. I think they're talking about up to 10, not including the one potentially he would do with Tucker Carlson. If he's going to be participating in some of those, they're really going to have to get their shit in gear if uh, you know they want him to be showing up. And, and it's going to come down to everything from what the locations are to who the moderators are because we saw it uh, towards the back end of 2016 when the moderators started teaming up on the you know, Republican primary opponents with them. And then in 2020, it was like you could have a panel of four or a panel of one. And it was whoever was sitting behind the desk plus Joe Biden versus Donald Trump in every debate. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many more case studies Trump needs, needs uh, or, or the American people need to recognize that every debate Trump's ever participated in has been rigged against him, whether the primaries or the generals. Every single one has been rigged against him. And in my opinion, Trump has won every single debate he's ever participated in. Yeah. So I have no, uh, I have no uh, doubt that he would do well this upcoming cycle. Uh, but he doesn't need to put himself through that anymore. Right. And the American people are, are going to tune out. Like, there's no, there's no 
conservative media outlet that's getting a fair, like if Newsmax was hosting the debate, okay, maybe that's fair. If Steak for Breakfast was hoping that hosting the debate, maybe that's fair. But the American people now are fully awake to what's happened to Fox News. Fox News has been totally co-opted by establishment and globalists who hate President Trump, who hate the mega movement. So why would Trump agree to participate in that? And I also want to point out that one of the things that, uh, one of the requirements to participate in the debate is that you have to pledge loyalty to the Republican Party. Why would President Trump pledge loyalty to the Republican Party? The Republican Party has been equally as bad to our country uh, until President Trump came along. President Trump revitalized and saved the dying Republican Party. The Republican Party should pledge loyalty to him, not the other way around. And so uh, President Trump can do whatever the hell he wants when it comes to these debates. Uh, He should do uh, what is best for himself. Uh, The American people know where he stands. And maybe these other clowns who are running will have an opportunity to showcase uh, to the people uh, that they deserve to be on the same stage as President Trump. President Trump doesn't need to uh, belittle himself and put him next to that clown show. No, he certainly doesn't. And uh, the more people start to realize that, I think a lot of people in, in the general public are waking up when they're seeing these polls. Maybe back, uh, you know, during the holidays where there was a lot of money and and people trying to, uh, oh, we're distracted with our families. Yeah, but these polls, it's like Donald Trump's like at forty percent, Ron DeSantis is like thirty. Now, where the average poll comes out, it doesn't matter if it's like state, national, head to head, and even general election. Donald Trump is pulled very far away and is continuing to move the needle, number one, against the entire Republican primary field. And now, number two, that Breitbart article uh, that had the polling in it yesterday came out and showed him seven points clear of Joe Biden in the general election. So uh, he, he shouldn't have to subject himself as the clear leader of the party, as the last Republican president, uh, you know, moving into this uh, debate season, which we're going to be having, you know, over the summer. So, Alex, this has been great sitting down with you today. Uh, we're always looking forward to having you back on the show. We'll get you back at some point in May again to uh, give us an update on everything that's going on. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Follow me at Alex Bruzewitz, B-R-U-E-S-E-W-I-T-Z, on all major platforms. Uh, we have a country to save, and we're glad to be in the fight with you guys. This is America First, one of its strongest warriors. Alex Bruzewitz, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, man. It's been a busy last couple weeks on the show, Noah. What do you think? Extremely busy. I wish it was less busy sometimes. You might even think we're uh, oversaturating our listenership with podcasts. It's possible. The numbers don't lie. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now over 235 other editions of the podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Everything from Apple to Spotify, Google and iHeartRadio, Find Steak for Breakfast, subscribe to the show, leave a review. Simple as that. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got Brian Lieb, Jim Nels, and former Trump ambassador to Iceland, Jeffrey Ross Gunter, coming in here hot. Ambassador Gunter is going to be talking all about the end of Title 42, and uh, we'll be hitting on the economy. We'll be hitting on all things Trump world. On behalf of the podcast crew, I'm Roan. Noah, later. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend and take care. I am El Nino. All other tropical storms must bow before El Nino. Yo soy El Nino. For those of you who don't habla Espanol, 
El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. 